The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. Hello, hello, people, and welcome to episode three of the Lone Gunman Podcast. This is your boy Rob Clark coming at you again, and uh, today we're going to take a little look at the phenomenon known as the Oswald Double. That's right, people, the Oswald Double, because uh, if you look at a lot of things occurring that day, and even before that day, there's instances of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald being in two places at the same time. Or somewhere where he shouldn't be. Doing things he shouldn't be doing. And uh, so yeah, that's what we're, we're going to take a look at that today. And But first I'd like to um, thank everybody for all the feedback on the f- second podcast. Uh, everything went really good with Bill Frazier. Uh, there was one detractor. No matter what evidence I posted up, they, they still uh, they still didn't like it. But like I said, he's a sacred cow for for some people, meaning he's off limits, and uh, that's fine. Murray, I love you still if you're listening. <laughs> um, you know, nobody has to agree with me. Nobody has to believe me. You know, I'm just trying to give people something to think about and uh, trying to look at this case through uh, some fresh set of eyes. Instead of uh, rehashing the same old bullshit we do for the past 50 years. And uh, also explain a little bit that the name of the podcast is, yes, it's the Lone Gunman Podcast, but uh, the Lone Gunman is me. Okay, I'm the Lone Gunman because there ain't nobody else here around. It's not because I believe Lee Harvey Oswald was on the sixth floor shooting the president. Because I don't believe that. Okay, and I'm not saying that uh, Oswald was totally innocent and he didn't know what was going what was going on, or he didn't participate in some other way. But the evidence just does not support him being on that sixth floor shooting at the president. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. Um, so moving on to the Oswald double, uh, let's take a look at some of the events from that day. November 22nd, 1963, that uh, fall into the very damn peculiar category, okay? Now, we all know the story of J.D. Tippett um, and his weird, erratic behavior that day. And part of that behavior was uh, running up in the top ten record store not saying anything to anybody grabbing their phone 
and calling somebody. There was no talking on his end. At least that's what the owner says. Don't know if there's anybody on the other end. But he hung up the phone and ran back out the door. Didn't say anything to anybody. And uh, back in the day, you know, of course, there was no cell phones. And, uh, you know, cops weren't going to use pay phones. I mean, they did have call boxes in some places, but it's not like they were on every corner. So it wasn't uncommon for, you know, police officers to, to go into businesses and uh, use their telephones. And the owner of the Top Ten Record Store, Dub Stark, you know, said, you know, he'd done it before. And, you know, he'd come in and use the phone. He's also come in and been friendly. He talked to him. And, uh, you know, he's a friendly neighborhood cop, you know, one of, one of the many. Now, what many people don't know is another story that Dub Stark tells. And it happens to involve an Oswald Double because at the time that Dub Stark says this happened, we know that there was Lee Oswald working at the Texas School Book Depository. Okay? So at some point that morning, not sure the time frame, a man came in and bought a ticket for that evening for the Dick Clark, uh, some kind of music show, variety show that was going to be in town. And uh, he left and came back a little while later and bought another ticket. Okay? And, uh, you know, of course, after... After you see Oswald on TV, Oswald gets shot. He's like, oh my God, that, that was the guy that, that bought the tickets in my shop. Now, of course, the police ignored him because, hello, Oswald was working at the Texas School Book Depository. Okay? But everybody believes his Tippett story. Okay? So how is he credible on that, but not credible that Lee Harvey Oswald uh, come into his store? So... That leaves one possibility, since Lee Harvey Oswald that we all know was at work. This had to be somebody that looked damn close to him. Um, or looked a lot like him. I don't think I don't think names were ever exchanged, but based on you know a visual description, Dove Stark was was uh, fairly sure that Oswald was the man that came in and bought his tickets. And uh, the reason you haven't heard about him, because, quite frankly, he was ignored by the police and the, and the Warren Commission about this. And uh, all, all, this story only came out a couple years later after he was interviewed by a, a news reporter named Earl Goals about the incident. Okay, so we have Oswald at, the, at work, and then we have Oswald buying tickets to the Dick Clark's Rockin' Variety Show or whatever it was. Okay, now on the same day, November 22nd, 1963, okay, at 2 o'clock in the morning, mind you, at the Lucas B&B, &B, which is a little restaurant, a waitress testified, well she didn't testify, she gave testimony to the police that uh, Jack Ruby had been in the restaurant. And he'd been there a little while by himself. And then another man came in at about 2.15 in the morning. And sat down with Jack Ruby. Now she described this man as definitely being Lee Harvey Oswald. 
Okay, and she gave a description and everything. And uh, she was really sure that this was Lee Harvey Oswald. They sat there, drank some coffee, and left about a half an hour later. And further on in her little testimony, um, she she uh, she said it was definitely Lee Harvey Oswald, but he but he had a, a small deep scar on the on his on his cheek. But so if Lee Harvey Oswald has that, then it was definitely him. Okay, so she goes from being definitely sure to, you know, she's pretty sure. You know, especially if this guy has a scar on his cheek, it was definitely him. Looked just like him. Okay, so now there's two. Now we go to the testimony of Fred Moore, who was working at a little convenience store that day. And uh, says a man came in and... and bought two beers and he asked for ID and the man showed him his ID said H. Lee Oswald okay and the man had you know had a wallet he pulls his wallet out said H. Lee Oswald and he remembered the year was 39 which that's when Harvey or Lee Harvey Oswald was born and he thinks it was the 10th month which is correct also October now, he only realized this because, you know, of course, after Jack, Jack Ruby shot Oswald on TV, he was like, oh my God, that was a guy that was in my store buying beer. Okay? Now, we do have a time frame for this. It was about 9 or 10 in the morning. Um, and also, after buying the beer, he remembered thinking, Oswald, you know, what a fine Jewish name. And that's why he remembered it. Um, but the same man came back... Uh, about 15 20 minutes later and bought two things of pico brittle and he remembered saying to the guy wow candy and beer what a weird combination and uh guy he said the guy you know ate the brittle right there in the store or out in the parking lot and then uh and he moved on didn't see him anymore all right so that's three instances that we have oswald where he's not supposed to be he's supposed to be at work okay and at, and at 2 in the morning, he should have been at his rooming, rooming house sleeping because he had to get him good to work in the morning. Or no, he was in Irving. I'm sorry. <laughs> he was in Irving. Okay, he rode in with Frazier that morning. So that couldn't have been him. Alright, so let's fast forward a little bit to after the Tippett assassination. Or not assassination, but the Tippett murder. I'm sorry. To where... We have a business owner of a hobby shop, hobby shop, right, right beside the Texas theater, who, who thought for years that he had seen Lee Harvey Oswald get arrested and taken out the back of that theater, because the back of his theater, or the back of the theater, and the back of his shop, you know, were kind of in the same alleyway there. And he said there was a couple cop cars, and they brought this guy out and looked just like Lee Harvey Oswald, and he thought it was Lee Harvey Oswald for years. You know, until he saw pictures of them taking Oswald out the front of the theater. You know, the famous pictures where the guy's chomping on a cigar with a shit-eating grin and like, yeah, we got this son of a bitch. Okay? So, that's four. Okay? We have four Oswalds where they're not supposed to be. And there's inside the theater, you know, of course, there's, there's talk about 
one being in the balcony and one being on the floor. Because uh, we have police reports stating that there was Oswald arrested in the balcony. Now we know he was arrested on the floor, not in the balcony. And we have pictures of that. They're very dark, but there is pictures that just recently surfaced not too long ago of the actual arrest going down inside the theater. And you know, you've probably all seen the, uh, the picture of the inside of the theater where the guy's standing there at the seat where the, you know, Oswald was arrested in, which is on the floor. And they talk of his odd behavior, you know, getting up and sitting next to different people, moving around a lot, you know, the pregnant lady and a couple other people like he was trying to find somebody. Which kind of makes sense if you know if you believe that he was trying to meet a contact there, maybe you're something to figure out what the hell is going on or what do you what's his next move. Okay, but that's not it. That's the four in one day, okay? But that's not all. There's another one. Okay, now we have a mechanic who is looking across at this parking lot and he remembers the description given of, of, of Lee Harvey Oswald and he swore that this guy was him driving this red Ford Falcon. Now we know Oswald didn't drive, didn't have a license, or maybe he did, and it was uh, done away with, but the official story is that he didn't. Um, and so the guy was so intrigued about it, you know, he wrote down the, uh, the, the uh, tag number of this, on this red Ford Falcon. And uh, told the police about it and everything. After running the plates, they find out that this guy, who's, who owned the car, worked at Collins Radio, which is a big uh, tele telecommunications company. You know, making uh, radios, two-way radios, lots of equipment for Bell Helicopter, and the uh, military. And also, that this guy was a neighbor of Tippett's. Now that's a little odd, don't you think? But this guy swore up and down that it was Lee Harvey Oswald driving this Falcon. Okay, so that's five in one day. And this was supposedly after he'd been arrested. Okay, so came in two places at one time. This is five in one day. Okay, just on, on that day. Now, we get to the story of uh, Robert Vinson who tells the story of being told <clears throat> being told to land and pick up uh, a couple passengers in Dallas that day he said one of them resembled Lee Harvey Oswald and there was another fellow with him and he dropped him off in Roswell New Mexico and continued on about his flight he's just following orders doing what he's told to do okay so this is six six Oswald sightings in one day. We know that couldn't have been Oswald because he was in jail at the time. Okay? This is six in one day, people. Okay? Not to mention the countless others of 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 him doing things before. Okay? Like such as um trying to buy trucks at a dealership when he's when he should be in the military. Or I mean in Russia, I'm sorry, 61 in New Orleans and uh, there's also reports of him going to a, a dealership in Dallas and test driving 
test driving a car driving like a maniac saying that uh, he'd be able to afford this car soon and all this and that and the guy wrote his name down it was Lee Harvey Oswald and the guy said it looked just like him you know he we, as touched on in the last podcast at the sports drone you know of course we have Lee Harvey Oswald spotted there was it him or was it a double who knows now we get into looking at maybe just who this guy was that was impersonating Oswald at all these places. Now as my buddy Doug touched on in the last podcast, and I really think he's on to something with Loran Hall, William Seymour, and Lawrence Howard. And Jack, well I think Jack Lawrence was involved as well. Um, you know, and everything with the Johnson rifle and these guys. And going to Odeo's apartment. And there's also a lot of talk about Leon Oswald. Okay. Sylvia Odeo brings up the fact this guy's name was Leon Oswald. Perry Russo talks of a Leon Oswald. Okay. Ferry's roommate, uh, I forget his first name, Brashears, speaks of, said he had sex with Leon Oswald. Okay. And, and, and Perry Russo talks about Leon Oswald as having being real scruffy looking had a little scruffy beard and was a real asshole you know and I want to say that this guy was William Seymour okay now a lot of people have looked into this guy and even the FBI looked into him and and Lauren Hall and Lawrence Howard's whereabouts that day and you know they said he they went and talked to his employers in Florida, and he was working at uh, a welding company in Florida at the time, and they were satisfied with that alibi. Okay, but what what does that really mean? I mean, you know, Lee Oswald worked for a welding company in Dallas. Roscoe White did too, and he, he, he died there, way well, died in the hospital, but he was in a major accident that caused his death there. And here's another welding company popping up. You know, which could be fronts for anything, really. CIA fronts, mafia fronts. Because a lot of these things were interconnected and a lot of these CIA contract people were mafia people. Um, and also ties in with the anti-Castro Cubans. Um, now I found a picture of William Seymour. And damn if it doesn't look like he has a small deep scar on his cheek. Just like that waitress described at the restaurant that morning speaking with Jack Ruby. Um, I also ran across some references to something called the Dixie Mob. Which incorporated uh, David Ferry, Jack Ruby, William Seymour, Clay Shaw, and a couple other people. And... Uh, they kind of fancied themselves a little subset to, to all to their own. And, uh, you know, Ferry has ties with these anti Castro groups. You know, he's close with Sergio Racka Smith, Eladio DeVale. And uh, coming back to New Orleans, we have also another instance of a, of a Leon Oswald at uh, a man named Arrestus. Arrestus Pena's bar 
And he, he said, you know, this guy got was there with a big fat Mexican, which translates into Loran Hall. And uh, he got extremely intoxicated, proceeded to puke in the street, and was very belligerent. And, of course, we know Oswald didn't drink. So we have sightings of Leon Oswald everywhere. We have sightings of a different Lee Harvey Oswald everywhere. So what the hell is going on here? Well, me thinks that a lot of this impersonation, you know, I think Ferry realized, you know, having known Lee Harvey Oswald, you know, from his early days in the Civil Air Patrol, and even possibly being influential in getting him into the Marines and, and the um, intelligence services, you know, he ran across these mercenaries, you know, that were associated with the Anacastro Cubans. And, damn, if this guy doesn't look just like Lee Harvey Oswald. You know, maybe we can uh, use this guy to help to help set this guy up. Now, if Brashears is telling the truth about Leon Oswald being a homosexual, which somewhat makes sense with these mercenary types, you know, they're all about power. And a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of homosexuals are that way because, you know, just a feeling of utter power. You know, what's more powerful? And uh, even even a lot of these elite rich guys, you know, they're what's more powerful than having another man, you know, suck you off or to cornhole another guy? You know, that's like they look at it as being like one of the most powerful things in, in, ever. You know, it makes them feel powerful, gives them, gives them power. And of course we know Ferry was a homosexual. We pretty much know Clay Shaw was a homosexual. And we got testimony that Leon Oswald was a homosexual. And uh, Perry Russo said, you know, that, that Ferry had come on to him and he didn't really feel comfortable going over there. So it makes sense that they might be associated together. And if... Uh, William Seymour was in this group you know maybe he didn't want the whole world to know you know exactly what his sexual orientation was but he was comfortable with other people that were like him but people like that are often miserable and, and very brutish which uh, Russo described Leon as being and uh, you know we have pictures of Seymour with a scruffy beard we in all the Oswald pictures that I've ever seen of his whole life, I've never seen uh, Lee Harvey Oswald with a beard or stubble or anything. I don't even know if Duke could grow a beard. It's hard to say. You know, the only time I think I ever saw him with stubble was maybe in in the, in the police station. Excuse me. But uh, so here's what I'm thinking. All right, they get a guy to help. You know. Frame the patsy, you know, pretty much put him in situations beforehand where he would be seen, he'd be known, he'd be saying things they shouldn't be saying. You know, he might even went to Mexico and, and impersonated him there. Um, you know, and of course, he's associated with Loran Hall and Lawrence Howard. They're very, very violent uh, anti Castro Cubans and mercenaries, drug addicts. You know, it all kind of flows together there. 
But what if William Seymour might have been uh, David Ferry's little ace in the hole there? You know? Because there's talk of a wallet being found at Tippett's murder scene, which is how they knew who they were looking for. You know, they had the wallet. And then there's talk of Oswald, upon his arrest, having another wallet. And uh, there's Gus Rose's testimony that uh, he was pretty much the first one to get him in there and interrogate him. And he said they thought they had Alec Hydell. And he says, who's this Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald? Why do you have identification for him? And Oswald pretty much told him, well, you're the detective. You figure it out. And uh, they did pretty quick, thanks to uh, military intelligence. But back to the Oswald double thing. It just... And not only this, but if you look into the research of John Armstrong and... Uh, and really start digging. I mean, there's there's instances of, of, of two Lee Harvey Oswalds as far back as elementary school. You know, even through his teenage years, working in different jobs in different places, in school, being in two different schools at two different at the same time in different places. In the military, being in two different places at the same time in different places. You know, one's in Russia, the other one's running around here in the States. You know, and that's who he thinks the double was. It was really Lee. And Harvey was this poor bastard that they had set up. And had sent to Russia and everything. And it's possible. Anything's possible. I don't have any evidence either way to say definitively for sure that this is what happened. But um, a lot of people don't like John Armstrong's theory because it's a little, it's, it's pretty far out there. You know, a lot of these records could have been doctored to, uh, just in case anybody really started digging into this guy. They'd be like, what the hell's going on here? Why is there all this shit that's contradictory? Um, it's hard to say. There might be a Lee, there might be a Harvey, or they just might have been impersonated by doubles, which wasn't uncommon back then in uh, Spycraft. And, you know, the CIA was deep, deep in things. You know, they had this assassination business down to a science almost by then now William Seymour might be still alive I'm not for sure I have a picture of him I'll post up on the uh, podcast page on Facebook of him in a relatively late a relatively recent uh, I don't know what it is but it's a picture of him as an old man and to this day he denies any involvement just like Jerry Hemming denied it and uh, everybody else of course they're not going to admit to anything um, but to me it kind of makes sense that he was part of the hit team that day in Dallas in some form or fashion he might have been the one to kill Tippett So that's where my head's at on this Oswald double thing. And it intrigues the hell out of me. And I've been interested in it for a couple of years now. Um, so if anybody's got any ideas they want to share, any, any, any evidence to the contrary, you know, being William Seymour doing the, doing the uh, double timing, 
then uh, please feel free to comment on the po- on the podcast page on Facebook. Just search for the Lone Gunman Podcast. You'll find it. You can you can comment here on Spreaker. Feel free to like my page. Send me comments. Anything you want me to talk about? I appreciate everybody's hard work. Make sure you check out my buddy Doug's podcast, The Dallas Action. You can find it on Spreaker and search on Facebook for The Dallas Action. He's got a podcast page where he's going to post all his episodes. And I appreciate you for listening once and again. And uh, that's episode three in the can. Uh, Get at me. Let me know what you think. And I appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate all the likes on the page. And I appreciate all the feedback. And uh, keep researching people. You know, we're we're, we're the new school. And this is how it's going to go down from here on out. Whether the old school likes it or not. Alright. So keep your head up and keep reaching for the stars. Kiss your loved ones. Good night. Hugging them and kiss them every day. Tell them you love them because you never know when you get another chance. Rob Clark is out, baby. Stay tuned for episode four coming soon. Peace. right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.